you've survived another week. Thank you for listening, downloading, and subscribing to another fun-filled, factual, and low-fat episode of the Urban Shooter Podcast. Shooter Podcast, the podcast for law-abiding, fun-loving gun owners of the city. This show features how-tos, news, and political views on what's happening around the world and in your city related to the sports of shooting and protecting what's important to you. Your host is known as the Black Man with a Gun. He's a former U.S. Marine, federal firearms instructor, private investigator, counter-terrorist, public speaker, and web personality. He's been featured in two documentaries, Fox News, the BBC, the Washington Business Journal, Washington Times, Wall Street Journal, and here he is now to give power to the people, Ken Blanchard. This is episode number 85, Ocho Cinco. This week I spent a few moments addressing something that, believe it or not, comes up at least once a month. The question of, are there blacks in the National Rifle Association? And while I'm talking, I want to give a quick shout out to my buddies, Wayne LaPierre and John Sigler, and of course, Joel Friedman. And then there's a little thing about the forgotten revolver. You know, they are still highly valuable tools. Well, they are. And in D.C., since it's the only handgun you can legally register, I'm going to introduce it to you and try to talk about it a little bit more as time goes on. I got some good feedback from you guys. I'm going to play one from Bob, who used my toll-free number to reach out and touch somebody's hand. D.C. is in the news now and always because of the Heller decision. And can you believe someone resembling the actions of a rectum stole the shotgun of our Olympic sweetheart, Kim Rode? Going to report about that. On a personal note, I think I've lost my mind. If you find it, please give me a call so I can pick it up. I'm working on my October shows already. Isn't that insane? I got a bunch of folks to talk to this week for next week's show. Mama Helen took advantage of the great weather we were having around Maryland and made a break for the beach, so she's out this week. Our shoot, don't shoot, returns, but I want you to know in addition to whether you would shoot is what are the tactical things you would do and go through in your mind if you engage the criminal. All this and a little bit more on your favorite podcast, The Urban Shooter. Episode number 85. And all the crunching you hear in the background, again, is my dog, who loves to come into the studio. You see, I share the studio with uh, several things. There's a washing machine over my head, so my wife is not washing everything that we haven't worn in the last 20 seconds. Um, I can podcast. So, And then, when I do that, I also got to bring the dog out, because she starts howling because she hears my voice and she can't see me. So she has to come in here and grab her bones and all that stuff. But that's just me. 
If you want to get in contact with me, you can. Toll-free number is 888-772-6262. And my email address for all you urban shooters around the world is blackmanwiththegun at gmail.com. Now, if you're ready, take it away, J.W. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands. One nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Next up is a commentary from another urban shooter just like you. Frank, take it away, man. Greetings, my fellow Americans. This is Frank M. Reed from Cleveland, Ohio, reporting for the Urban Shooter Podcast. Silver-tongued weasel politicians are a dangerous lot when it comes to respecting our constitutional rights. Too often, we have heard a politician state their support of the Second Amendment as it relates to hunting and recreational shooting. The last time I checked, this is how the amendment reads. A well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state, the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. There is no reference to hunting. Any questions? This brings me to the next point. Senator John McCain and his team performed a brilliant political move with the selection of Governor Sarah Palin of Alaska. She is indeed a strict conservative whom has energized this previously neglected base of the Republican Party. It was reported that donations went up to and about $10 million within a couple of days after her selection. This speaks volumes. Along with being a life member of the National Rifle Association, Governor Palin does not carry the card for show, but is very active in the shooting arena. In other words, she not only talks the talk, but walks the walk. I do understand the frustration with a couple of positions Senator McCain has taken in the past. Given the options on the dark side, I would rather move toward the light. Case closed. Unfortunately, the Democrat ticket consists of a couple of rabid anti-gunners that have absolutely no respect for our constitutional rights. Senator Joe Biden crows about helping to write the 1994 Clinton assault weapons ban. It is proven this ban had no effect on fighting crime. During the NRA convention in Louisville, Kentucky, they played a video in which Senator Obama was asked this question. Would you like to have every gun in America registered with the federal government? His response was, we would not be able to do that just yet. Notice the last two words in the previous sentence. Senator Barack Obama has a 10-point plan to change the Second Amendment. The following is courtesy of the National Rifle Association. Point one, ban the use of firearms for home defense. Two, pass federal laws eliminating your right to carry. Three, ban the manufacture, sale, and possession of handguns. Four, close down 90% of the gun shops in America. Five, ban rifle ammunition commonly used for hunting and sports shooting. Six, increase federal taxes on guns and ammunition by 500%. Seven, restore voting rights for 5 million criminals, including those 
who have been convicted of using a gun to commit a violent crime. 8. Expand the Clinton semi-automatic ban to include millions more firearms. 9. Mandate a government-issued license to purchase a firearm. 10. Appoint judges to the United States Supreme Court and federal judiciary who share his views on the Second Amendment. If Senator Obama wins in November and additional seats are gained in both houses favoring the dark side, you can kiss the United States Constitution goodbye. This will just yet will become reality. Put a fork in America. She will be done. In conclusion, we must vote for the preservation of a great nation, the United States of America. In freedom, Frank M. Reed. P.S. As of November, September 9, 2008, the Castle Doctrine for the State of Ohio is now in effect. Special thanks to Governor Ted Strickland for signing this bill. There are pro-Second Amendment Democrats in the ranks, and Governor Strickland is one of them. Of course, the lamestream media would have you think otherwise. Now, back to you, Ken. Thanks, Frank. And if you want to contribute like Frank did and tell me what's going on, give me your personal commentary for the next Urban Shooter podcast. Give me a call at 888-772-6262. If it's good, I'll use it. If it's bad, I might use it. If I ain't got nothing else, I might use it. Give me a call today. The Continuing Saga of GunBroker.com Alright, just a quick recap of what's going on. Um, I just got back in the swing of things and decided I was going to buy a Browning High Power, which is reminiscent of my early days and... Uh, I want to get this thing, kind of make it my own, get into the uh, range, work out my skills, and then maybe compete a little bit. And I'm going to do it all with this Browning High Power. Well, I've been on GunBroker.com looking for the perfect Browning. And I found one from King Shooter and Supplies out of King of Prussia, uh, Pennsylvania. And Pat and Roger Burris are some really nice people out there. But what happens is after... You buy something online, you must get it shipped to a FFL dealer in your state of residence. And all the stuff that comes along with that, you have to watch out for. And now, with my ongoing saga, here's what I have to do. I went to uh, my FFL dealer, my friend over in uh, Forestville, Maryland, Rialco Guns owner, and said, expect a firearm or to hear a word from King of Prussia, Pennsylvania about a Browning High Power. Well... They have to fax their FFL license to that other dealer. Can't be interstate, you know, can't do it by yourself. You have to get a federal, a federal firearms licensed person to do your transfer. Well, pay my transfer fee. And then you have to wait for the shipping of the firearm from one person to the next. And then you have to wait for the regular waiting period. Now, in Pennsylvania, you don't have any of that stuff. So, for all you brothers and sisters out in the Pennsylvania area, you are blessed beyond recognition. Because here in Maryland, I was presented with about, I want to say, five pieces of paper. There was the 4473 that everything you answer on it, you know, are you crazy? Um, are you fit to 
to breathe. I mean, it was like the craziest questions. And all of them, you have to answer no for the most part. And then there's one question that says, you know, um, did you lie on any of this stuff? And is there anything you've given, you know, previous here true? So you're one yes and a whole bunch of no's. And then you get another paper, which is exactly the same thing that Maryland State Police gives you, which everything is yes, except for one no. So you stated in this that you didn't kill anybody. You stated in this that you're not a drug drug dealer. You stated in this that you're buying this for yourself, blah, blah, blah. And you go through all this stuff, two sheets of paper, big 11 by 17 jokers, and then you sign it, bam, sign it, bam. Then um, if you don't have proof that you are a military veteran or law enforcement, you have to sit down to watch a video. Luckily, I knew about this, so I came prepared, my DD-214. It's the separation form you get for honorable discharge in the United States military. And I presented that to the people, and I was all right on that. Then you had to pay a say, transfer fee and the background check or the state fee, whatever that is. It's like 10 bucks more. Bang, had to do that. There was another piece of paper for... I can't remember what it was for. But... But I just know I was a reading and a signing. So aside from the 4473, there was the MSP 77, I think it is. And then what else was it? It was just some crap. Just don't think that you're going to buy anything off of gunbroker.com and you're instantly going to be able to receive it. You must pay attention to your state and make sure you talk to your people. Oh, we also had some issues on whether or not um, a ballistic... Um, shell casing had to be sent. If it was a new pistol and brand new from the manufacturer, well, not brand new, but recently used, um, shell casing would have to be sent along with the gun to the state of Maryland. So Maryland residents, really watch out, because I could have been hosed um, if this thing was used, was not used. And all I wanted was a vintage Browning High Power, 9mm, 4-inch barrel, 13-round capacity. About 30 to 35 ounces in weight. That's all I want. And this one has um, two finishes on it. And hopefully, I should get it in about show number 87. I hope to be shooting it on the range. Um, Maryland gives you a seven-day waiting period. And most firearms dealers in Maryland to make sure they're safe. Add a couple extra three on there so that they are covered. So it's a 10-day wait. Plus, I have to wait until they actually ship my firearm from Pennsylvania to Maryland. It's only a two-hour drive from King of Prussia to where I am, but you know, you got to do what you got to do. I'll keep you informed of when I finally take possession of my Browning High Power. All right. If... Mama Helen was around, this would be her segment. But guess what? She is chilling and grilling at the beach. So until next week, we'll just leave this spot blank and wait for the quick return of Mama Helen to talk about safety tips and just stuff that you need to remember about shooting safely and protecting your family. Mama Helen, we miss you and we'll look for you and listen for you next week. Hope you're enjoying yourself at the beach. Black in the NRA. Believe it or not, 
at least once or twice a month. Somebody asked me, Ken, in all seriousness, are there any black people in the National Rifle Association? And for the record, I am glad to tell you yes, I myself am a life member. I can name at least probably 10 people that I'm in contact with that are African American, American of color, that are members of the National Rifle Association. Plenty of the people who actually email me and talk to me on a weekly basis, people like Sean and Ron in Chicago, Rick in Detroit, Zakir in Philadelphia, Nate in California, my brothers in Florida, Rashad in Arizona, Lynn in New York, Derek David Edward and all the members of the 10th Cavalry Gun Club in Baltimore, for the most part, are all either life members or regular members of the National Rifle Association. And that's not even talking about the members that are actually on the board of directors, like Carl Malone, the basketball player, Roy and Najir Ennis from New York, Big Leon Mosley from Iowa, just to name a few. Actually, I was talking to the executive vice president, Wayne LaPierre, just this week, and he had a whole bunch to say. Well, what was I doing talking to Wayne? Well, see, the reason I was there was because I'm a member of the Urban Affairs Committee. I'm not a board member, but I make sure that I contribute to the National Rifle Association by giving my my input on what's happening around the cities in the country. And Wayne was going for it, man. Um, He was talking about crime and how they had um, had a really good conversation with the Bureau of Alcohol, Alcohol, Tobacco, Firearms, and Explosives. Um, He meets with them, and uh, he makes sure that things are on your benefit, doing the right way, you know, going the right way. I mean, he was talking about how um, he was trying to push Project Exile like it was in Richmond, Virginia. That NRA has been behind so many programs and they fight all the time for all of us. And he was going to try to make a bigger push to get into the cities, to get into the urban affairs of the country, because that's where most of the battles were. We had a nice little um, review from the legal counsel from the NRA reporting on Heller and all the things that are happening in Chicago and D.C. um, in the housing units in California and just around the country. And it was nice to see all that was going on. Wayne was talking about how right now it's a reminiscent of the 90s and if Senator Obama becomes president we're going right back to the 90s with the drug dealers and the guns and he reminded us that the federal laws are better than the state laws. The state laws are too broad and they don't want to prosecute anybody. That's what's wrong right now. Our criminal justice system is giving justice to the criminals. Nobody wants to prosecute gun crimes. They'd rather do HMO scams or some financial fraud case. It's more high publicity. It's better for the political careers of the people in government. The Project Exile was repackaged and 
turn into safe streets or cease fire in, in the different states and it doesn't have the same pack or impact that it had before. Now we have a gang problem. And that's going to be one of the things that you and I have to work with. Do Are there black people in the NRA? Yes, indeedy. And we're busy. Changing. Mindsets. Changing. And being heard. Through the National Rifle Association, I've met the finest people in my life. White, black, Chinese, Korean, all kinds of Americans. And it hasn't stopped. I expect to be introduced soon to the pastor of the Greater Exodus Baptist Church in Philadelphia, who's also a National Rifle Association member. Not bad for an organization that started out in 1871 to promote and encourage rifle shooting. Not too bad for an organization that's been around to one of some rough times in our history. They all, always haven't been because the population that supports them, that's really, really vocal about them, doesn't look like all of America, but all of America is represented by the National Rifle Association. They've done a lot and still do a lot. They'll do more if you do more. We are the NRA. It's not just those cats in Fairfax, Virginia. It's you and I. And if I'm the only black guy on my block that's a member, how much can one guy do? Which is the real deal for why this podcast is what it is. I'm doing as much as one guy can do. And I'm reaching out to you, wherever you are, to join with me so we won't be so isolated and single. Together, each achieves more. That's the team thing. The youth groups, the law enforcement training, the Institute for Legislative Action, all of that stuff together can be used to outreach, to teach, to promote safe streets, to promote a safe community for you and for me. But... I can't do it by myself as one member. I need people like you. I remember when I went through the series of the concealed carry reforms across the country. I actually won a Civil Rights Defense Award from the National Rifle Association. I remember when I got the Ed Eagle program into a school in Southeast D.C., Got a nice little certificate for that too. But it isn't about the awards. It's about doing the work. The NRA was also the first organization that ever gave me media training. That might have been a mistake because I haven't been the same since. And it's, it's the most necessary thing I've ever had to do because now when a news reporter sticks their microphone in my face, I can do like the best of them and not look like a fool. The NRA was also there for me when I started a pro-gun gun gun, uh, group here in Baltimore area, Washington, D.C., combined called the 10th Cavalry Gun Club. It does exist in that same frame today, but the NRA was there to train my people, to teach my people, to allow our group to 
used their brand new range out in Fairfax. They shut the place down once for us. It was on, if you look through uh, NRA archives, there probably should be some video about our first day at the range. The National Rifle Association. I could go on. But you're part of this history too. Be a part of their future. And that sounded like a big old commercial, didn't it? And I wasn't even trying to go there. But I'm telling you, the NRA is not racist. They are African Americans, Korean Americans, Canadians. Everybody who can be is a part of it. All we're missing if you is you is if you don't have your membership card. Now it took me a while to get to that life membership thing because I wasn't rolling in the dough or nothing. So I understand you on that one. But they're real. And if you have anything to do with firearms, collection, shooting, competition, self-defense, I don't care what it is, you need to be a part of this. And you know, it's not just uh, Wayne. I actually sat next to John C. Sigler, the president of the National Rights Association, just the other day. That's a cool dude, too. <laughs> when he left, he said, oh, he gave me that sign where you put your finger to your ear with your thumb and your baby pinky finger and you say, call me, crack me up. The NRA was cool. You need to be a part of it. The next time we have a urban affairs committee meeting, I'm inviting you personally to make yourself available so you can check it out and be a part of the process. Maybe even get you on the committee. That's just me talking. We'll see what we can do. None of us is as strong as all of us. All right, here is some news from the Washington Compost, written by Catherine Frey. And it says the gun bill's dangerous, the D.C. chief tells House. Now, I call her Big Kathy, but Big Kathy's real name is D.C. Police Chief Kathy L. Lanier. And she assailed a new bill yesterday, that is September the 9th, that would eliminate most of the district's gun laws, telling a congressional panel that the measure would allow residents to carry loaded semi-automatic rifles in the streets, creating a nightmare scenario for Homeland Security officials. Now, that's some really good wording. Uh, unfortunately, it's totally untrue. She says, imagine how difficult it would be for law enforcement to safeguard the public if semi-automatic guns are allowed. She is quoted as saying. Hmm. Lanier sparred repeatedly with, with legislators who said the measure was necessary to allow D.C. residents to protect themselves from criminals. Representative Dan Burton, Republican from Indiana, expressed support for the idea of legislators being able to carry arms for protection on their way home from the Capitol at night. And they tried to hype this up and said that whether the bill would allow residents to sling semi-automatic weapons over their shoulders on their way home and uh, everybody who has any sense like the National Rifle Association that was there disagreed. In quotes, they're trying to twist this language to create some concern that is not legitimate, said Chris W. Cox, the NRA's chief lobbyist. He has described the gun measure as the group's number one legislative priority in the congressional session that is drawing to a close. 
Now, I'm going to jump right in here on this one. The NRA is really beating the bushes and knocking down um, walls that have been put up for all of us who live in the urban areas around the country. They are attacking hard. So if you are not a member of the NRA, you ought to just stop fronting and go ahead and become a member today. All right. End of comment. Back to the story. The bill introduced by um, Representative Travis W. Childers or Childers, a Democrat from Mississippi, was written after the Supreme Court struck down the city's 32-year-old handgun ban in June. It would abolish the city's gun registration requirements and allow res- residents to own semi-automatic pistols and rifles. It would also permit them to buy guns in Virginia and Maryland and would scrap a regulation that firearms and homes be kept unloaded and safeguarded except in the cases of imminent danger. Delegate Eleanor Holmes Norton, Democrat from D.C., is making a last-ditch effort or attempt to head off the bill, offering legislation that would allow the district to rewrite its regulations to conform with the Supreme Court ruling. The Norton bill is expected to come up for a vote today, and that was September 10th, in the Government Reform Committee. But even if it passes, congressional staffers and lobbyists on both sides of the issue expect the more sweeping legislation opposed by the D.C. government to prevail in the House. It is not clear whether there is enough time for the Senate to act on the gun bill before the Congress adjourns this month. Representative Henry A. Waxman, Democrat from California, head of the Government Reform Committee, invited the leaders of major law enforcement agencies in Washington, D.C. to testify on the broader gun bill yesterday. The U.S. Secret Service and the U.S. Marshal Service did not appear, and Waxman criticized the Bush administration, saying it had blocked their appearance. A Secret Service spokesman, Malcolm Wiley, declined to comment when asked why no one from the agency appeared. Lanier and Philip D. Morse, chief of the U.S. Capitol Police, testified that a law allowing people to carry semi-automatic pistols and rifles in public would have dire consequences because the city hosts so many top politicians, dignitaries, and special events. Lanier said checkpoints, fencing, and other measures used to prevent people from using firearms at gatherings, such as the 4th of July festivities, would be useless against semi-automatic rifles. The change in that security is drastic, she said. Supporters of the gun bill responded that terrorists are unlikely to buy weapons legally. The real issue, they said, was the district's high crime rate and residents' ability to defend themselves. I find it astonishing, or I find it really astonishing, the elected officials and appointed officials here would want to continue practices that do no good for the citizens, said Representative Virginia Fox from North Carolina. Referring to Lanier's remark that D.C. residents can already protect themselves at home by legally owning shotguns or pistol, Fox said, what an arrogant comment. All right, Miss Fox. After the Supreme Court ruling, the D.C. Council passed temporary legislation to allow residents to acquire revolvers for self-defense in the home. Critics have said it is too restrictive. Yeah, darn tootin' it is. Councilmember Phil Mendelson, a Democrat at large, said yesterday that he will seek to amend the temporary legislation at the session today to address some of the critics' concerns. And just a little bit more, but my printer just chopped off the words. So, take more for it. That's the bulk of it. Gun bills claim to be dangerous by Big Kathy. But district residents and the Capitol gun owners are fighting tooth and nail. Go team! Next, we talk about some theft.
Olympic champion Kim Rhodes' shotgun is stolen. And this is from online edition of the Los Angeles Times, California, local edition. Authorities say the gun, which Rhodes used in four Olympics, was stolen from her pickup truck in Lake Elsinore while she was shopping for her upcoming wedding. This came out September 13th from Francisco Vera Orta, Los Angeles, Times staff writer. The Pride shotgun used by an Olympic champion to win four medals has been stolen from her car, authorities said. Riverside County Sheriff's detectives are searching for a pair of suspected thieves who broke into Olympic gold medalist Kim Rhodes' pickup truck Thursday. Rhodes was shopping for her wedding at Lake Elsinore Outlet Center about 1 p.m. in the daytime when the theft occurred, said Deputy Erlinda Valenzuela. When Rhodes returned to the parking lot about 2.30 p.m., she discovered that one of her truck's windows was shattered and her shotgun, locked in a case, had been taken from the back seat. Villasuela said. There's just no words to describe what the gun means to me, Rode tearfully told television reporters Thursday night at the crime scene. Rode, 29, used a 12-gauge shotgun in each of the previous four Summer Olympic Games, earning two gold medals, a bronze and a silver, while competing in double trap and skeet shooting. Surveillance video showed two men in a dark red Ford Expedition slowly driving past Rode's truck just before the shotgun was stolen. Moments later, the video showed two men reappearing and walking toward the shopping center. Rode told KTLA Television that the thieves did not take anything else from her truck. They just went straight for the gun, she said. This morning, Rode headed to Colorado Springs for a selection match for next year's international competitions with a hastily put-together replacement gun. She said she is worried that she will not do it do as well without her prize-winning custom-made shotgun. The shotgun is a part of me. I've traveled all over the world with it, Rode told KTLA this morning before boarding a flight at Los Angeles International Airport. Hopefully, it won't affect my chances for the 2012 Olympics. Born in Whittier, Rode began sport hunting while traveling on African safaris at the age of 12. At age 17, she won a gold medal in women's double trap shooting at the 1996 Games in Atlanta, making her the youngest female gold medalist in the history of Olympic shooting. She won gold in the event again in 2004 in Athens. In Beijing last month, she earned silver in skeet shooting. Rode is offering $5,000 reward for the return of her shotgun, which has stickers up and down the barrel marking each of her wins. Anyone with information on the stolen gun is asked to call the Riverside County Sheriff's Department Lake Elsinore Station at 951-245-3300. And again, this was contributed by Francisco Villaorta from LATimes.com. And thanks to my brother Michael for alerting me about this news and let me share it with you today. And here is a fellow podcast listener just like you who called me to give me some feedback. Ken Blanchard. Hello, my name is Bob Palmer. I'm calling from outside of Dayton, Ohio. Hey, I listen to your podcast. I'm loving it. Keep up the great work. Uh, looking forward to sending a donation to your website real soon. Uh, I've listened to a bunch of your uh, podcasts, and you know, I'd like to see you touch base a little more, maybe on uh, 
on training, uh, unless you've been on a podcast that I've missed, uh, I got to tell you, I, when I went and got my CCW, <laughs> there were people there I couldn't believe were getting issued a CCW in Ohio. Uh, people that were falling asleep during the classes, people that couldn't hit a target from seven yards out. It, it just amazes me. Uh, Man, I, I, you know, I've taken my CCW, I've taken advanced levels, uh, one, two, three, uh, different weapons training classes. I can't, I can't reiterate enough how important this training is for people. And I just wish more people would, uh, get the advanced level training other than just getting enough to, to get by on. Uh, thanks a lot. Keep up the great work. Appreciate you. Bob, man, you are so right about training. Since I'm talking about revolvers on this show, I want to give you two definitions. There are literally thousands of revolver designs, but almost all modern revolvers belong in one of two categories. And you've heard them over and over again mentioned, both in pistols and in revolvers. And that term is single action and double action. Single action means the trigger performs a single function, and that is to release the hammer. The hammer must be hand-cocked before the gun can be fired in a single-action revolver. A double action means the trigger has two functions. The first, to cock the hammer, then to release it. So a double-action revolver can be cocked and fired simply by pulling the trigger. Now, a single-action revolver. Pulling the hammer of a single-action revolver to the rear, you will hear, if you can, and probably feel three clicks. The first click position keeps the firing pin off a live cartridge when the gun is loaded. The second click, also called a half cock position, releases the cylinder to move freely for loading and unloading. And then the third click is the full cock position, and usually people refer that to as having the hair trigger, that cocks the revolver for firing. Alright, that little bit is your training tip for this week about single action and double action for revolvers. Different than semi-automatic pistols, but not much, just a little. More after this. Nowadays, Wherever you go in the gun world, to the range, gun store, locker room or water cooler conversation, everybody's talking about the new Smith & Wesson this, the new Taurus that, the 45s, the high compression 9s, you name it, the black rifles, you know, normal stuff. But you know what you never hear about now? are the revolvers, the wheel guns. You see, back in the day before the FBI shootout, before the drug wars got really bad and cocaine became crack, most law enforcement had revolvers. Well, in the nation's capital, in Washington, D.C., all that the residents are legally able to have right now are revolvers. Even special police officers, the guards that patrol the city, 
and work in most of the non-federal buildings are only allowed to have revolvers. One of the big things you can see in the nation's capital, if you're a real law enforcement officer, you have a semi-auto. If you are a, quote, rent-a-cop, you have a revolver and a big three-inch patch. The patch even tells you what kind of firearm you have or what training you have. If you have the semi-moon-shaped patch, you probably aren't armed. If you have a three-inch circle, you're an armed security guard. And probably armed with a revolver. This is from a NRA article by Dave Campbell. 178 years ago, an arrogant 16-year-old named Samuel Colt contemplated the mechanism of a ship's capstan as he sailed on a merchant ship to India. Somewhere along the line, the notion occurred to him that an iron cylinder bored with chambers to store powder and ball and indexed to a common barrel, a la the capstan, could produce the first practical repeating firearm. Six years later, the self-assured Colt introduced the Patterson revolver to the public. Today, the basic premise Colt developed remains one of the steadfast foundations for handgunners. Materials, nuances, and accessories may have developed, but the fundamental concept of the revolver has not changed a bit. A hand, a paw, depending on the manufacturer's nomenclature, mounted on a lower radius of the hammer, engages a ratchet machined onto the rear of the cylinder and rotates the cylinder just far enough to allow a spring-loaded bolt mounted in the lower part of the frame to raise and slide into a notch machined into the cylinder. The engineering genius of this is that the cycle is timed perfectly to lock the cylinder in alignment with the barrel just as the hammer attains full cock or reaches the termination of the double-action fly. A slight increase in trigger pressure releases the hammer to strike a percussion cap or primer. In modern times, the semi-automatic pistol has made some significant inroads to the revolver's domination of the handgun industry. But, as reliable and accurate as the semi-auto has become, it cannot take the place of the wheel gun. Semi-auto pistols can only function with a limit power band. Loads that are too light or too heavy can cause the semi-auto pistol to malfunction. Basically, semi-autos are reliant upon their ammunition. However, the revolver can digest just about any reasonable load stuffed into it. With the rare exception, the revolver is the sidearm of choice when a hunter needs all the power he can handle to deal with large animals. For the less experienced shooter, a revolver is easier to operate since it does not have manually operated safeties to disengage or a reciprocating slide that can tear flesh from the top of a misplaced thumb. Today's revolvers have improvements in design and construction materials that would all pistoleros of yesteryear. It is possible to safely, though not comfortably, cram the excellent stopping power of the 357 mag into an 11-ounce revolver. Now compare that to the not-as-powerful Dragoon revolvers of the mid-1800s, which weighed around 44 ounces, and you realize modern revolvers have more power at one-quarter the weight. Now, the Dragoon was referred to as a horse pistol because the only practical way to carry it 
was in a pommel holster aboard a horse. Yet, the author's Smith & Wesson model 340 PD could be safely and unobtrusively slid into the cargo pocket of a pair of shorts. Most modern revolvers, be they single action or double action, are made with frame-mounted inertia-driven firing pins, which not only allows them to be safely carried with all their chambers loaded, but in the case of a blown primer, the shooter is better shielded from hot gases and metal fragments. Colt's first grip was similar to what would become known as the plow handle, a graceful arc leading to a tangential line along the back strap, with its front strap flared inwardly toward its bottom. The best example is seen in a 1836 Navy and subsequent 1873 single-action army revolvers. To fill the hand and give it better purchase to control the revolver, Colt used walnut, either one piece or two pieces. Walnut is still prevalent as grip material, but other exotic hardwoods are used as well. However, rubber and composites are more often employed in today's wheel guns. Toward the end of the 19th century, Smith & Wesson developed a reversing radius backstrap for its then-new double-action revolvers. This provided a shoulder that seated firmly in the web of the hand to control recoil and allow for faster and more accurate follow-up shots. The grip on double-action revolvers remains fundamentally unchanged. The single-action revolver, once thought to be as dead as buggy whips, is as popular as ever. And you can credit Bill Ruger and his six, his single six and Black Hawk revolvers to chide even stodgy old Colt to reinstate production of the single action army after World War II. Beefy, solid frames made from stronger alloys and with modern heat treatment techniques provided a fun nation, a foundation for the power race that endures to this day. When the chips are down and reliability is paramount, like after a long chase for a big bear or a silhouette match, the single-action revolver remains the handgun of choice. And the first gun that I owned was a single-action Blackhawk 357 revolver with an 8-inch barrel. It's still the most reliable. In the self-defense arena, it was thought the flat, relatively unobtrusive semi-autos would supplant the old-fashioned revolver, but such has not entirely been the case. Small frame revolvers like the Smith & Wesson J-frames and the similar Taurus guns are often preferred to a similar sized semi-auto because of their reliability, power, and cost effectiveness. The so-called snub-nose revolvers in 38 Special or 357 Mag is found in more pockets and purses than one would imagine. There's a very good reason for this. They work. In the more remote areas of the country, those who need to pack a handgun daily and who are not shackled with departmental regulation and uniformity more often than not choose a powerful revolver in 44, 45, and even 50 caliber. Again, the reason is simple. They work. You simply do not see too many semi-autos on the hips of outfitters in the thoroughfare wilderness in Wyoming or the backcountry of Alaska. The surge in popularity of semi-automatic pistols came about during the late eight, the 80s and 90s when instant news and minicams focused closely on events like the infamous Miami and North Hollywood shootouts. 
In these cases, the camera lens focused clearly on the issue of superior firepower, premised on the axiom, where there's lead in the air, there's danger. So it's best not to run out of lead. For the majority of us mere mortals, whose livelihoods are not spent clearing houses and building and buildings of a lot of bad guys, the five or six, or now as many as eight shots a wheel gun offers without reloading are more than enough to handle any situation. The one time I, t I was tasked with taking a bad guy into custody from an old hotel room, the only gun I was that was available to me was a Ruger Blackhawk N45 Colt. When I hung the gas pipe-like barrel of the 45 on his nose and explained his options, he saw the gaping holes in the cylinder filled with shiny, cast semi-wide cutters and made the intelligent decision to accompany me quietly to the Afton, Wyoming City Jail. And this is again coming from Dave Campbell. Now for extra credit, if I were in the District of Columbia and I was thinking about buying a revolver for myself, I would look into, write this down, Ruger SP-101, Ruger GP-100, uh, Smith & Wesson Model 29, Smith & Wesson Model 629, and just about any Smith & Wesson that you can get. And I'd pick any Taurus revolver over a 357 in caliber. And there's a whole bunch of models for that. Like there's a Taurus 627 SS4. Usually when there's an S in the revolver, it's a stainless finish. And I usually go with a stainless if I was going to have just one pistol. Because like stainless steel, like your silverware, it wears better, gets less rust, and it's easier to keep clean. You know, the sweat on your hands, the oil, all that stuff can take away the blowing and rust your gun. Stainless steel just lasts longer. And it's pretty too. This is Nasa Yub, and you're listening to the Urban Shooter Podcast. Black Man with a Gun by Ken Blanchard is a 148-page book with pictures showing the right way and wrong way to do things, different guns and techniques, and a great primer for new shooters, an icebreaker for the experienced shooter, and a tool for the activist. Black Man with a Gun is a book that easily explains and inspires with the humor of the most audacious African-American in support of the right to keep and bear arms, Ken Blanchard. Ken Blanchard is a former U.S. Marine, federal firearms instructor, private investigator, counter-terrorist, public speaker, and web personality. Ken has been featured in two documentaries, Fox News, the BBC, the Washington Business Journal, Washington Times, Wall Street Journal, and now with his new podcast, The Urban Shooter on iTunes. In the book, you'll find a letter to my sisters, buying a firearm, the racist roots of gun control, the NRA, your rights, the police, religion, and guns. Get your autographed copy today by visiting Black Man with a Gun com or by calling 888-772-6262. Get your copy now. Hi, this is Ken Blanchard, and I'm not sure when you listen to this message, but if you are listening to it before the 26th, the 27th, and the 28th of September, I want to invite you to the 23rd Annual Gun Rights Policy Conference being held this year in Phoenix, Arizona. This is a once-in-a-year chance to network and get an insider look and plan pro-gun rights strategies for the coming year. This year's theme, Elect Freedom. This year they'll take a critical look at issues like city gun bans, youth violence, 
smart guns, concealed carry, federal or federal legislation, legal actions, gun show regulation, state and local activity. They'll also preview the upcoming presidential elections and analyze the U.S. Supreme Court Heller decision. The full roster of GRPC 2008 speakers has not yet been set, but I have been one of the speakers before. I won't make it there this year, but there will be plenty of people from the Gun Rights Radio Network and from the NRA, the NSSF, Women and Guns, the New Gun Week, KeepingBearArms.com, and I'm sure some friends that you haven't seen in a long time. This year, the conference will be at the Sheridan Crescent. That's on 2620 West Dunlap Avenue in Phoenix, Arizona. That the best part of this whole thing, even though I can't say it right now, is that it's all free. Yes. The books, the monographs, and other materials, enough to start a Second Amendment library of your very own, are free, as are Saturday's luncheon, Friday and Saturday evening receptions, and morning and afternoon snack breaks. All the other meals, traveling, lodging, you'll have to pay for. But I've gone to these things, and they are great for meeting good people. That's how I met Mark. If you can, if you're on the west side of the United States, if you got some great vacation time, if you got a few extra mileage points on your aircraft card, go and see the Gun Rights Policy Conference 2008. Do it for me, and then tell me how I was. For more information, check out saf.org and look for the Gun Rights Policy Conference. It's the urban Part of my culture because of the way I grew up. If you need 19 rounds to shoot a deer, you probably shouldn't be hunting. Closing the gun show loophole so that we make sure that uh, we have the information we need. You're listening to The Urban Shooter as heard on radio talk shows across the country. Featured in The Wall Street Journal, Washington Post, Washington Times. And now, here's your host, The Urban Shooter himself, Ken Blanchard. Shoot or don't shoot. You decide. You're returning home from a day at the mall. Your kids are ahead of you and you're tired and you're walking. And you get the door open and they all pile in. But over to your left you see a woman whose face tells you that something's not right. She's being talked to by a young man who's yelling at her and telling her to do some things. Something tells you to go a little bit further so you walk away from your family. You close the door. And you tell me you'll be right back. And you walk over just a few cars over. Next to the van where they are standing, you see that the man has a gun. He's pointing at the lady and he's trying to get her to give up her ATM card and make her get in the back seat. She's protesting. She's trying to draw attention without making him angrier than he already is. And you walk slowly toward them. He now sees you. The lady looks at you. You're now looking at a place to position yourself on what you're going to say, what you're going to do. All of a sudden, all of your attention is slowly drawn to this guy. You don't really notice anybody around you. Shoot or don't shoot. You decide. All right. Thank you for listening to show number 85. 
You can have all the shows sent automatically and free of charge to your iPod or MP3 device if you sync up weekly by subscribing on iTunes or the Lipson feed. If you need help with that, send me an email and I'll explain it to you one-on-one. If you listen on your computer, that's cool too. You can on several of my pages. Special thanks to members of the Urban Shooter Association for your support this month. And if you aren't a member, you can be by investing $4 a month via PayPal. Membership has its privileges. One of the reasons I am mentally tired is that I have some stuff coming next month, especially for the Urban Shooter Association members. My way of giving back. USA members are going to get it first and exclusively for a while. And if you're not a member, you're going to be so jealous. (laughs) And a big Urban Shooter shout out to BetterBullets.info. Pat and Roger. And if you are in the Valley Forge area of Pennsylvania, make sure you check out their table and store at the next Valley Forge gun show coming up soon. That's King Shooting Supplies, King of Prussia, Pennsylvania. And don't forget, on our Shoot Don't Shoot, tactically, whatever you would do, I'd like you to write up your response on the Gun Rights Radio forums so the rest of us, usins, can respond back to your post. You know where that is, right? That's gunrightsradio.com. Go way to the forums and then go to the bottom. And there you will find us, the Urban Shooter Podcast. Yay! And while you are there, consider donating some money for the Gun Rights Radio Network. It's a humble effort by some really good patriots that have befriended me. You see, I'm not as smart or as informed as they are, but they let me hang with them. A great bunch of people like Mick, Mark, Eric, Tony, Matthew, Sean, Gail, and Doc. And I also would like to announce a new sponsor of the Urban Shooter Podcast, WonderHowTo.com. See the links to this site for videos on everything. That's gun videos on WonderHowTo.com forward slash weapons. And that does it until next week when a whole bunch of folks come back. Until then, I'd like to leave you with these words by Charles Dickens. He says, no one is useless in this world that lightens the burden of it for anybody else. How true it is. And remember, if you don't arm yourself, you harm yourself. Thank you for listening to the Urban Shooter Podcast. Ken would love to hear from you. Email him at blackmanwithagun at gmail.com. Talk to you next week.